Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that's dedicated to spotlighting individuals who are changing the way that data is used to deliver better customer experiences. I'm your host, Ben Chiquetti, and for this episode, our Director of Business Development, Val Mercurio, spoke with Stefan Dujolet, founder and CTO at MediaRhythmics. Val and Stefan had a fascinating discussion about the future of targeting, opportunities through collaboration, the relationship with consumers, and much, much more. Before I hand it over to Val and Stefan, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But now, without any further delay, here's Val and Stefan. All right, we'll go. We'll go ahead and get started. So, for today's identity architects, we are here with Stefan Dujolet. And before we kind of get started, it would be great, Stefan, for you to give us a, a background. Obviously, as the founder and CTO of Media Rhythmics, just a little bit of background on yourself and Media Rhythmics. Um, so first of all, uh, thank you very much, Valerie, to to have invited me in uh, in this podcast. Um, so uh, I am the founder of um, MediaRhythmics, um, but before that, um, I had um, professional experience both in um, strategic marketing and technology. And um, uh, my my objective when I founded MediaRhythmics was really to to propose something new and special in in the digital landscape and more precisely in, in data marketing. But I think we'll discuss about that in the podcast. Awesome. That's great. And it's really exciting, obviously, Media Rhythmics being one of our strategic partners as we think about moving into new ecosystems and what the InfoSum team is building. So to kind of get us started, we, we flipped the switch in our you know previous identity architects. And so starting off with some of these quick fire questions, just to understand a little bit more about you. So are you ready for the quick fire questions? Yes, yes. Awesome. So the first one that we have is, what is your first earliest memory of advertising and marketing? Um, I must confess, it's a very long time ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So um, my first job was um, with a consulting company named Andersen Consulting, which was the company that became uh, Accenture uh, quite later. And I was I was um, a trainee in Chicago because in the Chicago office of, of um, Anderson Consulting they had uh, this new um, digital factory multimedia factory where we worked on um, new media and uh, connected TV. It was a long time ago, um, and, and Google was really new on the market. I mean, Google just appeared when I was uh, doing this, um, this training. And I read a lot on, on um, the business model on Google, the paid search advertising, the, the open bidding model. And I was completely amazed by the, the, the way it, it will change the, the future of advertising. I was a very young strategic consultant, but I mean, it was very clear for all of us in, the, in, the, in this multimedia factory that uh, uh, performance marketing will be certainly a key <laughs> trend 
in, yes. in, in modern marketing. So yeah, uh, it was a long time ago and it, it started with basically with search advertising on Google. Awesome. That's great. And it is wild to think about even since then, probably how much the ecosystem has evolved. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> kind of going back to that, I, I would say knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself when you started your career? Um, when I um, when I started, um, I was I was very curious of many different uh, uh, topics um, um, around um, digital transformation, digital economy, how it will uh, transform the the yes all, all kind of businesses. Um, um, but the, the one the one thing. Uh, Maybe I, w I would have liked to 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 know at at um, at the beginning was about people. I mean, it's very difficult to to change people are thinking, to to change how people are doing marketing. Um, and what I see today also in the market is it is uh, that uh, technology is is going faster than how people can transform and and, and move. And uh, yes, this is <laughs> this is difficult, yeah. and this is this is part of what we do with Medimatmix. We try to explain, we try to train, we try to to give context. And for example, this very complex topic of the end of third party cookies and identity and so on. So, um, so that's why I'm, I'm very happy also to have this uh, podcast today because I think that this is certainly the most important challenge in this industry. It's uh, people understanding what's happening. Yes, and certainly being really agile, and it's consistently changing. So I think that is great advice to your younger <laughs> self. Yeah. And what what would you say that you love about what you're doing right now in the, the industry that you're in? Um, I think we are um, at, at a moment um, where the, the questions of um, regarding data management, data marketing inside the the digital economy is um, is really a, a cornerstone because it's both um, in in um, in the public through all the questions regarding data privacy, but it's also yeah. in the in, it's in it's in the economy because um, many many different brands in Europe or in the world are are uh, now in competition with uh, big uh, American or Japanese uh, or Chinese platforms. Maybe Japanese tomorrow. I don't know, um, um, and be, because those um, players are very strong at data management and very strong in terms of uh, first-party data, and um, it puts uh, it, it puts many brands in in a fierce competition. So um, it's it's a way for us to 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 help. Um, I will say I will explain later how we can help those brands to to compete, and. And the last topic, which is the political one, um, in, in terms of geopolitics, um, the question of data sovereignty is in the agenda of most um, political leaders uh, in the world. Um, so we know that it has certainly changed for the last two weeks, but um, it, it will remain a very strong um, question for, for um, the, the years to come. So it, it's very interesting for, for a company like MediaRitmix and, and for me as a leader within this organization to be part of this um, uh, historical moment. Absolutely. And that is such an exciting place to be, certainly. And to take a step back even from that, I think 
as we think about our industry and evolving and growing, recently we hear so much about this concept of identity. And from your perspective, how would you explain the term identity to a 10-year-old? Um, for me, it's very simple. I don't know if it's the right, right answer, <laughs> but um, for me, identity is, is a way to give a name to a person. Um, so I would, if, I, if I had to explain to uh, my, my young daughter, um, this is what I would say. Uh, it's a way to talk about someone, even if you, if you don't know this person, if, if, if you are able to give, it, give him a name or give her a name, and then you can describe her, you can describe him and say, and so, oh, yeah, this is his story and so and so. Uh, so putting it differently, it's, it's a way to, to reference someone. And depending on the context, you could attach different attributes to this name. It, it can be a, a birthday, a gender, a nationality, more information. But the beginning is you are able to, to put a name. It's like language and, and, uh, and those kind of things. And if, if you are able to put a word on, on the concept, it's, uh, it's the starting point. Certainly. And that makes a lot of sense. And as we're moving right through the quick fire questions, what, what would you say it is that keeps you awake at night? Uh, first of all, I'm a very optimistic person and I have a very good uh, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We have, yeah. to learn, we have to learn from you. <laughs> um, and if, if I look at our industry, um, yeah, I, I'm quite optimistic because uh, we know that we have um, yeah, uh, uh, a strong transition that, that is coming um, in front of us. But I see also very strong market trends to find solutions and to converge on some balance situation where both data privacy is uh, considered, but also diversity in technology and um, uh, data providers and, and uh, yeah, the ecosystem, diversity in the ecosystem is, is, is also uh, considered. Um, and, and maybe with the help also of, of our um, government, with the idea that uh, data governance and data sovereignty should be also uh, in, in the agenda. Um, I think we have the right mix to be optimistic. Yeah, that is so empowering, honestly. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great positioning if we think about, okay, it's it's not it, the things that keep you awake at night are almost the things that get you up in the morning. And the fact that you can sit here and say that you know, you get a great night's sleep, it, I think that's just really telling that Media Rhythmics is doing the right thing and on the right track. And so what, at the same time, what are the things then after your great night of sleep, because <laughs> you're sleeping <laughs> so well, what are the things that are getting you up in the morning? What, what's motivating you? Um, my, my role in the organization is, is really to, um, to help to architecture and, and develop the best technical solutions to, um, to help our clients. So... Yes, my, my, my strongest motivation is, is to help the, um, the whole product team, um, engineering team, to, to provide the best software solution, to solve technical issues. This is an industry where we have very strong uh, technical issues because we want to manage um, billions of data points at speed, at yes. low cost, um, with um, strong regulations. So 
uh, so many different requirements and constraints, and it's, it's going very fast. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, this, this is what uh, really motivates me at, at the morning, and I think that my my technical team also uh, is quite motivated with the same reason. Awesome. And as we wrap up our quickfire questions, we're going to do a hard pivot to my favorite question, and that is understanding if there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Um, it's not the soundtrack of my life because um, <laughs> maybe one soundtrack would be not enough. I was <laughs> when I was younger in engineering school. I was um, I was the DJ for the. The university party, so I had uh, this particular role. Um, but I must confess that when I was a teenager, I was uh, deeply in love with Annie Lennox from uh, Eurythmics. Yes. And and the name of Mediarythmics is not very. Um, um, there is a connection to that because uh, it's the combination of media and uh, algorithmics. So it stands as media rhythmics. Uh, but when we were um, searching a name for the company um it came in the discussion and i say oh yes i love this it reminds me of eurythmics so i would say that my um at least the soundtrack of um, media rhythmics life is uh, <laughs> is a uh, sweet dreams are made of this that is amazing i love that and that is a great song uh that is great so thank you so much for going through those quick fire questions and as we transition i think let's dive into the thick of it as we think about more of these deep dive into the industry and so to kick off on kind of the, the deeper dive i think the first question is 2023 is certainly getting closer, and as as it's getting closer, so is the cookie-less era. And from your perspective, are you prepared for a post-third-party cookie world, and what three things would you recommend to every brand and advertiser to be focused on in 2022 to prepare for that cookie-less future? Um, so, uh, obviously, as, as, a, as a company in this industry, we started for, for this long journey two years ago, and uh, uh, we, we are prepared both as, as, um, as a product organization, but also more, more broadly as, as an organization that is uh, serving uh, large um, corporates uh, in Europe and in the world. Um, we have put in place many different options for our clients to to be able to uh, continue to, to grow their business and do um, uh, targeted advertising um, uh, tomorrow. I think that um, my recommendation is now for them to prepare their transition project because we, we have many options. Uh, many options are available in the market. Um, and certainly that the, for each organization, um, there is a different set of um, ingredients that need to be put in place to be sure that um, depending on uh, their dependency to third-party cookies, um, they can switch uh, nicely. Um, but I feel like the project is not really uh, started <laughs> in those organizations. So I would really recommend um, at least a third-step project where they, they start with an audit um, of a, what is their dependency to third-party cookies. Um, 
uh, what is their uh, yes their data assets what are their data assets in, in terms of first party data then looking with their um, technology providers to um, the kind of options they can put in place um, so design design the transition based on the audit yes uh, for example, you, you could imagine that you, you will put in place uh, data clean rooms uh, and maybe you will have uh, some contextual targeting and maybe you will see also when the privacy sandbox is okay, what kind of scenarios can be put in place for this or this use cases. But really, to start to design the plan and to roll out the plan depending on um, the availabilities of the technos because uh, some technos are not really available. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a silly situation where we know that we have to move, but we don't know yet to which uh, uh, technical option. Uh, but it's, this is not the reason why uh, we should not move. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's the, um, I mean, the best option is, is to start the transition program. And this is my, uh, my advice. Certainly. And I, I couldn't agree more on that as we think about this year. I always refer to 2022 and even last year. It, it's really how do teams start thinking about it? And it's painful. And anytime you have to change a historic you know way of working and you have to move, it's a lot of work. It involves a lot of teams. But really being able to prepare for this future of advertising and what it looks like, it's so important to start preparing and, and start, start somewhere. So I definitely resonate with that. And moving into our next topic, right, as we think, you know, Google just recently announced the removal of Flock and introduced its new tools topics. And so how do you perceive that announcement and, and does that change anything for you and the Media Rhythmics team? Um, so uh, this announcement is, is, um, is no surprise um, because uh, there was so much um, concern um, on this uh, flock ID, um, that yeah, the the the, the new uh, proposal by um, uh, by Google to the privacy sandbox uh, community um, uh, seems to, to provide something that is um, uh, more acceptable. And being more acceptable, it is also certainly. Uh, um, it, it comes with, uh, with a different uh, trade-off. Uh, topics can be interesting in terms of um, it can uh, provide some high-level targeting capabilities, but uh, to be honest, it's, it's really um, for um, what I would call upper funnel or brand campaign where you, you are not targeting uh, intent, so people in market looking for um, a mobile phone or a car or an insurance but you are targeting for more topics of interest. So it's, it's more up, upper funnel. It's not as sophisticated that Flock could have been. But Flock, um, it, it was more a black box uh, th than a true um, targeting technology. Um, it, it's not a silly idea. I mean, basically, Flock is, is something that we are... Uh, uh, introducing within MediaRhythmics <laughs> for our yes. own client. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a good idea if you want to do, for example, lookalike on your own first-party data. You could use the Flock ID within your own uh, first-party data to create cohorts, hundreds of cohorts, and then use those cohorts in, in different scenarios because, yeah, in, in, a, in this situation, this is quite um, 
uh, yeah, very performant option. Um, but as a public option for um, the the uh, the rest of the ecosystem, it, it was not a good option. Awesome. That makes that makes so much sense and definitely understanding. And, and one of the great things about being ahead and, and being so educated in the market, knowing that these things are coming. And I, I love to hear that you weren't even surprised, right? Yeah. Because you had already <laughs> you had already understood really a lot about what the team was doing and, and where the world was heading. So that is great. And that, that's why you sleep so well at night. <laughs> you're ahead of a, you're ahead of everything. And so, I mean, there seems to be a million answers to the cookie list future. And, and a lot of companies are out there claiming that their solutions are the only way forward. And where do you think that the industry is going? And, and do you think that we're going to end up with a single solution that solves for everything? Or will it really be this hybrid approach with a range of options? Um, so maybe to, yeah, to answer this question, uh, I'd like to point out um, a usual confusion I see uh, when, when discussing about um, uh, targeting solutions or um, yeah, addressability issues, um, there is a confusion between addressability and targeting. Addressability is the idea that you can, uh, using a proxy or a token or a name <laughs> to identify someone, you, you, you can um, basically um, show, display, send a message to a user. So it's kind of targeting. But you can also do some very interesting targeting without addressability or even without consent. Um, because usually addressability comes with the consent and we we have this issue with the third party cookie, but this is not the only issue in the market because um, you know, collecting the consent is certainly the next issue and it is becoming maybe the bigger issue than the, the issue of the identification. Um, and really the, the, the important um, topic is are the the business requirement is targeting. It's not addressability uh, because marketers want to be able to target the message to optimize their budget, to optimize uh, customer engagement. Um, so having said that, the market tomorrow will be certainly a mix, so an, an hybrid solution where you will have um, both um, technologies that are very precise, certainly based on identity, um, technology um, that will enable addressable media, but we will also see different options in targeting, like the next generation of media planning that we could call the panel-based contextual targeting. I don't know the name, but <laughs> let, let's say next generation of media planning. Um, we will certainly see um, some features in the privacy sandbox, which are not addressable, but close to uh, there is still, uh, I, I will put a bet on Fledge. Maybe we will uh, have another podcast in uh, six months <laughs> of, and one year from now, and we will see if, if my uh, my bet is, is a good bet. But I think that Fledge will be certainly one of the options within the privacy sandbox. Um, so as a conclusion to this long answer, yes, the, the world will be an hybrid uh, world where you will need to um, manage different options for, for your targeting purpose. Um, 
keeping in mind that addressability is, is not equal to targeting. Certainly. And that's a really great point to make as we think about, you know, to our earlier conversation about the planning that's happening this year. And it really is about people understanding the tools that they are selecting and, and testing to see what's going to fit their business model best. And one of the one of the things that I wanted to spend a little bit of time going through is more and more of the common tools that the industry uses are they're they're up for question now right there's a lot more eyes on the tools that teams are using and so for example in february of 2022 the french data protection agency cnil uh, concluded that the use of google analytics is illegal under gdpr and so when things can change so quickly with tools that are part of you know, brands and advertisers, everyone's day-to-day -day life, how can that affect media rhythmics and your clients? And how does that potentially affect the consumer? Um, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is very um, interesting because this decision came uh, something like two weeks after um, the decision of the Belgium uh, equivalent to CNIL that uh, says that uh, the transparency content framework is illegal in Europe. <laughs> so all, all the IUB work is illegal in Europe. Uh, these are interesting decisions, but it is too big to have a real impact. I mean, uh, it's too big. It's, 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 it's impossible for European advertisers and publishers to stop using uh, IAB technology because I mean, it's, this is how it works. <laughs> So the, the transparency consent framework may need some improvement, but it will not disappear. Um, I will say the same for Google Analytics. Uh, certainly that Google will, will, uh, will come back with a solution for uh, the data privacy concern. Um, but it's very good for the, the long-term aspect of, of those decisions because it creates in the mindset of decision maker some idea that okay maybe we should keep in mind that independence and so sovereignty um, is, is, is also um, part of the decision for the, the next decision uh, the next choose um, the next selection of a technology sorry um, it is too soon now to, to say that um, Google Analytics will uh, lose some market share in Europe Uh, but I think it is uh, fair to say that decision makers will be certainly uh, um, looking at different options. So it's, it's a good, um, good signal for diversity in this market. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really powerful to, to think about it. And it, it's almost forcing us into that agile environment where everyone has to be prepared for any of these changes and, and making sure that they're building that really appropriate tech stack to grow their businesses as well. And Thinking about that, I mean, at the end of the day, marketing really is all about the consumers and their needs. And that includes data privacy and shifting away from third-party cookies. What are some of the challenges that your clients face and how does MediaRhythmic support them? Um, our, um, our clients are um, 
are large brands operating a business with usually millions of users, even in a, either in the TV business, uh, so TV broadcasting, um, more traditional uh, publishing and media business or retail business. Um, and they need to create and maintain a very good um, transparent relationship with their clients regarding the usage of data. Um, and to create this, um, this confidence between um, consumer and brands, um, you need to prove uh, but what you do on, on an everyday basis is uh, both compliant with the regulation, but also customized to the, the user uh, uh, needs and, uh, and requirements. So within MediaRatmix, we've decided um, quite a long time ago, it's uh, now three years, to introduce directly in the software um, privacy features, privacy by design, I would say. So all the data processing uh, that are uh, required as, as a declaration by the regulation are first kind citizen in the platform. So you need to declare them to use MediaRatmix as a corporation. And then consent are collected at a user level. Um, we have automatic rules that block <laughs> um, some campaigns um, to be sure that even um, a trainee in the marketing organization or someone that has no clue about to create a segment will know, um, uh, I mean, uh, do some mess with, uh, with marketing campaigns. So we, are, we have a watchdog inside Media It makes that watch that everything is... is uh, so it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite complex, but it is very powerful uh, for, our, for our clients. Um, and, and I would say that, yes, this is, um, this is a strong requirement. Another one that is also uh, very important is um, to be sure that um, any change in the consent of a user are is immediately um, uh, introduced in the system so that there is a very good synchronization, ideally live synchronization, between the different systems. Because we, as we work with large corporations, they usually have a system to send email that is not really connected to the web or the web app or, um, or the, the mobile app and, and so on. So, so as, as a core platform, as a data platform, we, we are also here to help them to connect this uh, live to be sure that when there is um, some consent that um, is removed, uh, the next email campaign is not sent. And when you are a multi-billion uh, euro organization, you don't want to pay um, even a small percent of your <laughs> revenue uh, because uh, it is proven that you have no synchronization between your consent and your marketing practice. Awesome. I think that is a really great way to put it as we think about, you know, what your team is building and the way that Media Rhythmics is truly looking at the future and looking after your clients. So that's really great, really relevant information. And with the removal of trust and privacy barriers associated with data sharing, we are seeing more and more brands collaborate. And how would you like to see brands and media owners engaging with each other in the future? Um, I think this is absolutely necessary and, and this is also um, easier and easier every day. 
why is it necessary? It's it's very simple. Um, um, the 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 power of data comes with the volume. So the more volume, the more power. Um, so this is why Google is so strong and Amazon is so strong and Facebook is so strong. It's just basically because you have hundreds of millions of users that bring them a lot of uh, uh, very interesting data on social habits and uh, also on intent, if we look at Amazon. Um, but yeah. when we look at um, um, smaller brands <laughs> um, in terms of, uh, of, of data ownership, uh, the only way for them to to compete is to collaborate. So collaboration between uh, brands and media is very important. Collaboration between uh, retailers is important. Collaboration between competitors could also be an option and has to be an option. And, and the good news is that um, it's easier and easier every day. Uh, we have good example between uh, Infosum and Mediatmix because we, we work now for two years with Channel 4 in... In, in the UK, and um, we have over um, uh, situation where there is an everyday um, collaboration between uh, brands and, and, and media. Um, yeah, and I think this is absolutely necessary uh, due to this um, uh, volume effect on, on data performance. Yes, and that, that makes so much sense. And I think it is, it's a lot more beneficial the more and more that we think about collaboration and finding that power of your data. It really is as we move to this world where first party data is essentially a lifeline to your marketing campaigns and your strategy and, and how are you getting the most out of that. And so how can brands or companies who are traditionally competitors utilize technology to collaborate together? And what would competitive collaboration look like in practice? Um, we, we, it's difficult to give a general answer to that because um, uh, seeing um, uh, competitors uh, working together is, is uh, still quite rare. We have this chance. I mean, uh, we operate at least two different alliances, um, one in France and one in Caribbean uh, islands, uh, where different companies, uh, telecom operators, media publishers, TV broadcasters, um, very often competitors on the same market, have decided to, uh, to join forces, to join their data, uh, to create a bigger, more powerful uh, privacy um, a private garden, um, and and yes, and this is possible because um, they they know that the technology that operates those alliances um, can maintain the silos. This is very important to be sure that um, uh, your data will not disappear or be leaked <laughs> to mm -hmm. another competitor. Um, so yes, it's it's important. Um, um, for those kinds of uh, collaboration that the operator of the technology is a trusted third party. Um, uh, but knowing that, yeah, it's, 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 it's possible. And then I, we, we think uh, this is uh, also uh, uh, a very interesting opportunities for um, different players in smaller markets. Like, I mean, European markets are small market co compared to American market or, or Chinese market. So, 
um, competition should not be seen at a local level. I mean, competition should be seen at, at the European level. I mean, the true competitor of a retailer in France is not another retailer in France. The true competitor is Amazon. Uh, the same for a TV broadcaster in France, it's not the over TV broadcaster, it's Netflix and Amazon Prime. <laughs> so yeah. Knowing, yeah, and knowing that, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a very good um, driver for those uh, companies to work together. Certainly. And with that, I can't believe it, but we are already at our final question. Uh, and so I think after, I mean, I've just, I've learned so much and kind of walking through these questions and I can just feel the passion that you have for media arithmetics and that the team, you know, what the team has built and what you're continuously building, which is certainly incredible. But before we, before we depart, what would, you know, what do you want or, or need to say that you haven't already mentioned? Is there anything that you want to add to leave us with today? Um, maybe it's obvious, but but I didn't mention it. Um, I would say that first-party data is key. I mean, um, it, it should be at the first topic in um, the agenda of all um, CEO, CMOs um, today. Um, so the data that you can collect under your own organization whatever the source is, because um, you could have many different sources if you really look at uh, the whole organization. Um, this data is key because this is the foundation for, for the rest. I mean, if you don't have any first-party data, it will be quite difficult to build on top um, uh, because yeah, most of the possible extension in, in the targeting landscape or, or, or the addressable, addressable media is based around uh, the idea that you could uh, use some sort of first-party data, use uh, AI, use uh, next-gen media planning, use privacy sandbox, use um, uh, data clean rooms um, to do better. But you need to start somewhere. I mean, you absolutely need to, to focus on your first-party data. And this is my conclusion. Uh, this is also why I'm, I'm confident, because I know that um, most organizations have, have understood that and they are working hard on that. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Stefan. It was really great to hear your perspective and definitely just continuously learning as our conversation evolves. So I am so appreciative and thank you so much for the time today. Thank you very much, Valérie. And uh, yes, I'll be, I'll be happy to, uh, to, to come back uh, um, maybe just before the, the transition, you know, like, like uh, um, for the transition of the, the, um, the millennium, we could have this transition to the cookie maybe the day before. Uh, yes. <laughs> could be fun to have a party for that. Yes, we definitely, we will. We'll be prepared. We'll bring our first party data. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Stefan for joining us for this episode of Identity Architects. That was a really great discussion about the future of the advertising industry, trends we're seeing right now around targeting and collaboration, and how those opportunities will manifest in the future. 
If you'd like to be a guest on Identity Architects, or if you'd like to nominate someone to be on the podcast, don't forget that you can reach out to us directly on podcasts at infosum.com. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button wherever you're enjoying this podcast so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening. Thank you.